to Books and Beyond with your hosts, Karen and Louisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a library, yeah. Kia ora everyone, kia ora Karen, kia ora, and kia ora from our special guest, <laughs> little Arnold, my toy puppy. <laughs> That's right, we're talking animal love today on the show. Um, Karen, I don't know if you are aware of a new book that's been written by a cat. It's a cat who comes from L.A., where else <laughs> and um, it's not out yet so I can't tell you more about it except the cat likes to dress up and be photographed by its owner art historian and photographer Paul uh, Kudinaris I think is how you pronounce his name so um, I thought that you'd find that kind of interesting well actually it's funny you should say that because um, I have a fond memory of a tradition that the New Yorker had going maybe still have I haven't caught up recently but um they used to promote a um celebration of the literary world every year in which uh members of the new york literati would dress their dogs and cats and whatever other (laughs) household pets they had and orangutans or tortoises as um members as famous literary celebrities and then send the photos into the new yorker for a 10-page spread my favorite i remember was um somebody sent in two dogs together who were uh, Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre. So Simone de Beauvoir was a dog, a kind of a hound dog, wearing one of those turbans that Simone de Beauvoir always wore. And Jean-Paul Sartre was a Weimaraner, looks just like him, wearing little glasses. And um, yeah, I just thought, you know, I had the, my idea. My idea was, can we send one in from New Zealand? I wanted to take my black cat and put a little wig on her, a little bob, and send her in as Cat Mansfield. Oh, from New that's clever. Yeah, never got off the ground. But now that you remind me, maybe we need to pick that yeah. back up. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out Instagram. You, you can't have too many cats. cats. Mansfield. No, you can't have too many cats. That's a, that's a, um, a true indeed, especially in the days with... It's um, a truism. A, tr- a truism. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> we have a stuffed puppy and, um, and animal humor. And animal wisdom. <laughs> and animal wisdom. So, yes. Um, <clears throat> so, nowadays, you can't have too many cats. Is that what we're saying? Yes. The cats have found its way everywhere into our lives. Shall we blame Grumpy Cat for starting that trend? I've um I I follow Grumpy Cat Instagram <laughs> by the way. I'm not even a cat person, but anyway. So I found another one titled Texts from Mittens with the tagline A cat who has unlimited data plan and isn't afraid to use it. This whole book is te- text conversations between Mittens and the cat and Mittens' mum described in the character guide as single working mum who loves puns and dabbles in online dating. Mm. Oh, very modern relationship. Doesn't sound like a Karen, but um, but if you're going to ask me which part I want to play, <laughs> I know I don't want to have to try and be a cat voice on the radio, so even though she doesn't sound like a Karen, um, I'm willing to play the mum if we want to okay, read some Okay, cool. You must have known by my uh, poster well, sticking out of the book. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, it's very cold. The texts are presented in speech bubbles, so they're going to be easy for us to read. And um, inside the screen of an Android phone, which I know because the button on the pages of the, ph- uh, of the phone on the pages is rectangular, not a circle. Um, and uh, so... Um, I should say that Mittens is, um, there's a few other characters. There's Stumpy, uh, Mittens' neighbourhood cat or cat neighbour cat, and Phil the dog who lives with Mittens and Mum, and I think there's also a grandma. So um, so who did you choose to be? I said I want to be the mum. I, okay. I do not want to have to do a cat voice, but I see you as an excellent cat voice Yeah, I'll, um, I shall, uh, Yeah, I should get <laughs> practice. I uh, should have been practising my purr. Okay, here we go. So first, um, first conversation, text conversation. Stumpy gave me fleas. I'll pick something up. Thanks. I'm just watching Judge Judy. Okay, if it fleases the court. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> Hashtag not funny. I had an itch for parasitic humor. Retract that comment and I'll retract my claws. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Do another one? Okay. Okay. So, um, what page are we on? Page 29, Karen. Yeah. So, which one do you want to read out of page 29? Oh, I, I, I'll just oh, stick no. with being the mum. Okay, right. Okay. So, I'll start. Phil keeps barking at my cat tree. Make him stop. I wonder what his deal is. I don't know, but it's annoying. Come home and make him stop. I guess he's barking up the wrong tree. Lol, lol. Hashtag done with puns. Well, they wouldn't have been done with puns, Louisa, if they had wandered into that other section of the library, which is a paradise for animal lovers, which is that of the pet crime. Oh, right. Yes. I have seen those in the library and yeah. in the crime section. Area. Yeah. So <laughs> pet crimes stand out for being very colorful and stand out for the use of puns in their titles. They're actually a subset. Pet crime, which I'll have you note, is not about pets committing crimes, but about pets solving crimes, either by themselves or as an aid to their... Um, what do you call them nowadays? It's not master, surely. <laughs> surely we're beyond owner, master. Owner, owner, owner companion. Mom, mom. mom. <laughs> what clever little pets they are. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the subgenre animal mysteries is a subgenre of cozy mysteries, which is a subgenre of amateur sleuths. In this case, they're amateur, not because they're like a Roman senator or I'm a picturing golf player. a family tree of sub, 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 sub genre. <laughs> they're amateur sleuths because they are animals. So animals don't usually as a profession solve crimes, but in this great subgenre pet crime they do and one of the rules about pet crime is that you have to try and get a pun in everywhere you can especially in the title so i've just run this is going to be for you for your pleasure yes uh, i've got, I've got I've my run the results of what comes up if you search for cozy animal themed mysteries in our library catalog i'm laughing already yeah so <laughs> why don't you read me your first one okay i'll try and stop laughing hounding the pavement and you've also included here, Karen, True Librarian. It's an electronic resource, this one, uh, which means it's an e-book. Um, and in the title, A Dog Walker Mystery. There yeah. You so you could be, um, I was going to say, you could be reading this on your phone while you're walking your dog, but possibly not, because <laughs> you would possibly not want to be not looking where you're stepping if you're a dog walker. Um, so number two, we've got from the series Paws and Claws Mysteries, um, Mission Impossible. Oh, 
um, if I was really clever, I'd think of a Tom Cruise animal pun to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll come to us later. Number three, murder most how. Murderous Howl. That's, that's a Macbethian um, yeah. <laughs> title. And then we have... Um, something dark. Here's one for your little guy there on the table. Oh, yeah? The more the terrier. Woo! That's for you to... Arnold. The little little whipper on around the ankles. Nipper around the ankles. And number five. Not a creature was purring. Like that must creature. be the Christmas edition. Yes, that would be the one in red and green. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's just a little light-hearted. Um, hope there are not too many people out there who have hashtag pun no more. No, what was it? What was the hashtag? Hate done puns. With puns. Done with puns. <laughs> We're done with puns now. What if you ask so if, if you can? If you are done with puns, I brought in two books now which have no puns in them at all, but at least that I've come across, which are both about dogs. So one was written last year and one was written in 1933. And you can look at the covers. There's still a little theater of the mind here, Louisa. So here we have a cocker spaniel in front of some Victorian houses or maybe perhaps Edwardian um, in London. And this is Flush, a biography by Virginia Woolf, the biography of Elizabeth Barrett Browning's cocker spaniel Flush. And this one featuring a blurry black and white photograph of Eileen Miles recent um, feature at the Writers' Festival, though did not manage to make it in for the festival, which I had recommended. Do you remember, Louisa? Yes, I talked as one of my picks for the festival. So here's Eileen with a pit bull um, in a blurry black and white photograph. Eileen wearing a kind of a tough but tender expression, as indeed the book is. So I just like these two books really come together. I'm in the middle of Afterglow. Afterglow is a memoir, is subtitled A Dog Memoir, and it is the story of Eileen Miles' beloved pit bull, um, Rosie, who had recently, before the book, and uh, before Eileen wrote the book, had died. And so there's a lot of grief in the book, but there's also a lot of celebration of the dog-human relationship. And there's even a part which is a celebration of the library, so which I really liked. So um, Eileen Miles... Always oh, a sure bonus for us, isn't if, that, in if, the book? <laughs> always a bonus, always a bonus. Um, so Eileen Miles, I don't know how many people here have listened to past programs and heard me speaking about Eileen Miles, punk poet in New York in the 1970s, um, recently declared um, non-binary gender, so we go with the there and the they. And uh, this is Eileen Miles' story about the dog in the library. She says, I live and die like a dog, except for the library. It's what I know. The library is the only true monument to the writer. And then it goes on in a rhapsody about the old card catalogs, which is always fun to read about. And a moment of sadness remembering the library's the past and it's um, met by this wonderful consideration so my dog reached out often Rosie would reach out a paw and place it on my arm I know I've written myself away somehow yet this is what writing is if I had money I would give it to libraries and you and all the dogs because you keep protecting me from disintegration and change which is my inevitable home ash dust and reference Oh, that's really cool associating dogs with libraries in that way. That is it's, so nice. It is, it is, and it's that um, you know conquest of time through love, which is so beautiful. And Flush is a um, beautiful little book that I highly recommend. An often overlooked book of Virginia Woolf's, which is actually the story of Elizabeth Barrett Browning and her 
love affair with Robert Browning seen through the eyes of this um, playful and yet um, wise beyond his years Flush, her little Cocker Spaniel. And it's got a really is good... Is the Cocker Spaniel like the third person? Or the Cocker Spaniel is... Well, it's very interesting. The Cocker Spaniel thinks that he's actually Miss Browning's lover. The Cocker Spaniel is young and innocent and doesn't realize that he's not ever going to be her lover. He thinks he's her pan. Um, and he's very jealous at the beginning when Mr. Browning becomes to call, starts calling. And when Mr. Browning writes letters to Miss Barrett and Miss Barrett spends hours answering the letters, so Flush has to lie there hour after hour while she while Miss Barrett passes her hand over a white page with a black stick and her eyes would fill with tears. It's just a really beautiful switching around, overturning of the... What's the word? Anthropomorphizing. 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 Yeah, possibly. Also, also, but but also really beautifully um, a new way to look at our lives through the eyes of a more instinctive animal than we are that we've lost a lot of our instincts yeah so, channeling yeah. our lives through animals i guess yeah summing it up yeah <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah all right <laughs> sorry i just looking looking at life through the eyes of a beloved animal who is not sinless and is not perfect and is not an angel it also has a lot of character it's just a really 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 great book yeah i've also got a um a, a cutesy a cutesy note a, man's best friend book isn't it so um finding Gobi, i think has been the most um amazing recent um human um dog relationship story Uh, so australian ultra ultra marathon runner dion leonard goes to china to run 155 miles across the Gobi desert perfect book for you a runner (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't describe myself as that kind of runner (laughs) so he competes in a lot of these all around the world and he likes pushing himself to to the extreme he says i love competing he actually doesn't like running he likes competing and in the book he shares what he calls his abnormal childhood which helped shape this man alone competitor persona um he actually took up running while he and his wife lived in new zealand so there's a, a sort of local hook oh sorry Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> Arnold, arnold's enjoying the story he squeaked when it said new zealand <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So right from the start of the race, a small dog, small sandy coloured puppy, I think is how he's described, starts following him. And so he names her Gobi. And uh, like him, she's tenacious, she's determined, she never gives up. Um, except to the point where they get to a river cross, crossing and she can't um, make it across. And so this this man who likes to win at all costs... Um, his heart strings, the dog's already pulling on his heart strings and he goes back and he gets her and he carries her across and it's the first time he's actually picked her up in his arms and, uh, he's, and, and he says in the book, um, I pick her up, her face is level with mine and I swore she gave me a look of genuine love and gratitude. <laughs> Tissue time. Oh, you know? I know. <laughs> so they finish the race and so he's determined to take her back, his new friend, back to Edinburgh where he and his wife now live. And um, so during the arrangements, like all dogs pining for their owners because Kobe's been left in China, she escapes 
from her um, keepers and um, and goes missing for I, I don't know how the period of time you know perhaps you want to read the book to find out so Dion arrives back in Christchurch heart um, Christchurch China <laughs> local content that doesn't exist in the story China heartbroken and mounts this determined hunt to find her so it does end up a very happy story or oh, maybe I shouldn't say that the two buddies are together again have I got time to read a bit about from, from the book you've got it well, yeah yeah it's really quite touching. Um, to be trusted so much by a living creature is a powerful thing, especially when you know it could choose to lose, leave at any time. But Gobi never showed any signs of wanting to be anywhere other than right by my side. For me, to be on the receiving end of that kind of love and devotion is a special thing. To be able to be cared, to be able to care for her, and to be able to give her the kind of attention and affection she needs, touches something deep down in my heart. Um, what Gobi introduced to my life was a chance for me to treat someone young and and vulnerable in the way I wanted to be treated when my life was shaken out of control. Gobi needed me even though I'm still not sure I can adequately put to words the feelings. I know that rescuing her has healed wounds I didn't know were within me. Oh, yeah, nothing, nothing like books about animals for tearjerkers. I know. uh, And movies, of course. Yes, uh, movies based on books Mm -hmm. about animals. (laughs) They always are. I've I've brought, you'll be pleased to know that we have a treasure from the basement today. Oh. And our Treasures in the Basement today is bringing some comic relief after our sad stories about the death of dogs or (laughs) the romantic stories. So um, the book I brought for Treasure from the Basement is My Family and Other Animals by Gerald Durrell. And this is a book I first read when I was a teenager and I noticed my great surprise and happiness that a lot of teenagers today are still discovering and reading this book. So um, this is a, a memoir of a childhood, of a very unusual childhood. The Durrell family was a family of British eccentrics, also heavy drinkers, um, which often seem to go hand in hand in British history of eccentric families. Um, the father was the chief engineer of the Darjeeling Himalayan Railway in India. So I always think of, you know, Wes Anderson's got that Wes Anderson component, the Darjeeling oh. Unlimited. I've been and on that train. Yeah, um, I have you. Yeah. Well, we don't have time to talk about it now, <laughs> but I'm sure that in the future, <laughs> when we do travel writing, <laughs> oh, we could do one on trains, a, a whole show on trains. Yeah. Anyway, right. so the father dies young in India of heat and overwork, and the family goes back to England, and the children kind of play around as they're supposed to be going to school, but none of them want to go to school, and none of them, and they all manage not to. And in the end, the family picks up stakes and moves to the Greek island of Corfu, which is where my family and other animals is set. So the thing about Gerald Durrell is that he's the younger brother of Lawrence Durrell, who for many years was the um, considered actually a Nobel Prize candidate, much more famous than Gerald, um, the writer of the Alexandra Quartet, which was one of my favorite books when I was growing up, discovered before I discovered my family and other animals. But um, it's kind of a fussy... Um, was the word dandyish, um, while at the same time trying to be a kind of a Henry Miller type. Henry Miller being one of his good friends, he later went to Paris and spent a lot of time with Henry Miller in Paris. And Gerald was the younger brother who was not fussy about.
about his writing. He was basically just writing to make money to back his projects um, of um, captive breeding for endangered species, of, of being an animal collector, being a um, naturalist. Is that the word I was looking for? Oh, sorry. I should have hopped out there. Yeah. Did you, were you thinking? <laughs> I was entranced by the story. <laughs> and thinking, yeah. you know, are they with around the time of the Mitford sisters or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 30s, we're talking the 30s, they had to leave Corfu in when it became occupied by the Germans in World War II. But those five, ten years that they were there, that this book is set in, is just like full of all these hysterical, is that really funny? So, Gerald, as opposed to Lawrence, is very relaxed and he's just writing to tell a good story. Steals all the good stories from the rest of the family. They later complained about it um, <laughs> in a series of other books, petulant other books. But at any rate, and he um, will soak anything for a laugh, basically. And he's got all these wonderful stories about being a collector, even as a child. He's the youngest of all the brothers. And dissecting turtles in the garden and keeping scorpions in matchboxes. And Lawrence opening the matchbox and all the scorpion babies flying out and the best moment that I'm going to tell you is um, when he hears he's lying in his bed on the um, on his I don't know what birthday young teen's birthday and he hears funny noises from the rest of the house he hears a lot of voices and then there's sort of a pattering noise and then he hears Larry Lawrence cursing what is this god dung everywhere and he's like what dung what and all of a sudden, the door to his bedroom bursts open, and in comes a donkey. And he says, um, the family comes in, and they're explaining, oh, I hope you like it. And he's saying, I was taking no notice of the family. The donkey had approached the edge of my bed and stared at me inquisitively for a moment, and then had given a little throaty chuckle and thrust in my outstretched hands a gray muzzle as soft as everything soft I could think of. Silkworm cocoons, newly born puppies, sea pebbles or the velvety feel of a tree frog. Oh, Isn't that the most beautiful description of a donkey's snout that you could ever want? Yes, amazing. This was, you know, even more than naturalist, the term that I should have been looking for, lover, animal lover, lover of animals. Yes, he was a good old-fashioned animal lover, yeah, wasn't he? Good old-fashioned, And I can't funny. believe you found a story about a donkey yes. and it's such a beautiful metaphor about mm-hmm. animals because... It's freaky. I'm reading the book Call Me Zebra, which was uh, quickly oh. mentioned in an earlier show. Uh, I don't know. Do you remember our, conversa- our, our little chat about the contemporary Don Quixote or something like that? Um, and so it's a great read. Nothing to do with animals at all. It's, Is this uh, the book that's a contemporary of Don Quixote? Yes. A modern contemporary. We're going to have that conversation that, again, yeah. are we? Yeah. Okay. So it's a refugee story, but it's full of great metaphors. Uh, um, and um, like this one, hang on, I'm just going to open it up. So, um, the following year, an ashen sky, grayer and heavier than a donkey's behind, settled over Iran. <laughs> oh, that is so I, beautiful. I remember reading it and I came across it in the book and I thought, oh, that's so fantastic. I'm going to read that one again. I, I mean, I don't actually know what deta- what the detail of a donkey, donkey's behind it looks like, but um, but you get a really good feel about how the sky was looking. Yeah, well, we had a description. Now we've had the donkey's snout and then we've had the donkey's behind. <laughs> So going back to cats and dogs. <laughs> Leaving behind the donkeys. Oh, I made a pun. Oh. Leaving behind the donkey. Oh, we've lost the plot, haven't we? So, I, w- I wanted to bring up the fact that everyone thinks librarians love cats. 
Is, there, is yes, this true do. or not? I'm a dog person, as you can tell. I bought my my. T- I even have a stuffed puppy. You know. Um, so, Karen, what are you? Cat or dog? Uh, I'm actually both. I've loved cats and I've loved dogs. Um, quite omnivorous in my um, appetites there. But I, I do have a favorite animal that I've always wished I could have a relationship with, which is the otter. The otter? The, the <laughs> playful otter, yes. Um, I'm not sure we have pet otters in New Zealand. <laughs> I'm not sure we do, but we definitely have a great display of them in the Auckland Zoo. And in fact, Gavin Maxwell, so I was looking at this book. This is one of my favorites from my childhood animal books, Ring of Bright Water. And it's a beautiful story story of this Scottish naturalist told in the first person, so it's his story, he's a travel writer and a nature writer, and he lives in Scotland, and he ends up adopting two otter cubs, one in Africa and one in Iraq, and he brings them back to this um, small spot in rural spot in scotland where he lives and he's written this book all about their the incredible stories the mischief they get into the very mischievous they're very intelligent so lots of interesting perceptions about how they use language and how they learn things and all mixed together with this love for this particular time in his life so he's a very lonely man who these are like his actual um closest to his heart companions that midge and ebal and so he's got this very funny story babies his babies he has companions and he has this funny story about how Midge in particular is, um, uh, has this, his favorite activity is actually to bite people's earlobes. So he's sort of like a home... That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> well, he pierces your ear. He jumps on your earlobe and manages <laughs> to pierce your ear with one bite. So Gavin himself had his ear pierced and he also managed to pierce the ear of a literary editress from the New Statesman who had come to interview Gavin Maxwell. And um, apparently she was such a, um, what's that term for English? Stiff upper lip. We might say stiff upper earlobe that she did not even <laughs> pause in her interview question. <laughs> it was the clean bite went through her ear. And, um, and, and then you wanted a pit potter. A potter. Otter, in the sense. And, and, oh, I, you just you can't read this book without wanting an otter. So I particularly <laughs> would like to have an otter to travel with me. Um, so there's a my favorite scene. They are on a train together, Gavin Maxwell and Midge the otter. And the um, when the attendant comes in in the morning, Midge has, in the sleeping car, Midge has laid himself out on the on the pillow with his pulled the cover up to his chin and put his little otter hands on the outside of the cover (laughs) and the attendant walks in and takes one look and says uh was that tea for one or for two sir (laughs) i just i just made it up surely surely (laughs) no 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 really a story that really really rings true my my probably absolute childhood favorite and what's yours you must well i I can't match the otter story sorry i mean i i did read i remember reading black beauty as a child because we had a horse paddock nearby and I couldn't uh, own my own horse so I used to read books about horses yeah. so that's I read my childhood beauty, memory yeah. and of course all those beautiful picture books that uh, our libraries are full of <laughs> um, mostly about animals animal magic, for a dose of animal magic you can't go past a children's picture book and uh, and the ones that I read to my children are also memorable I'm not sure if it's memorable to them but it was to me reading them um, Boot or Goose Kahu the Cautious Kiwi and the Perennial Going on a Bear Hunt oh, so beautiful <laughs> I know it's, uh, I also took my um, nephew to um, a story time in our local library recently it was a llama llama story time and they absolutely loved it oh is that a 1L llama or a 2L llama 
Well, they're always oh. the Lama. Oh, I can't remember the two stories that she read. But anyway. Lama Lama presumably is two L's. Yes. Two, yeah. Oh, yes, two two L's. Yeah. So you've got to close the show today, Karen. You have picked out a lovely poem. Well, I didn't pick it out. Gavin Maxwell picked it out. Oh, so at the end the of Ring of Bright Water, he's um, put in a poem by Lewis McNeese, um, which sums up his feelings and I think most of our feelings about what it means to have an animal that you love and an animal that loves you. Yes. And it Hang goes on, like I'm going to get a little Arnold. Oh. I thought you were saying I'm going to get a hanky. (laughs) We do have a box of handkerchiefs in the studio here somewhere. Um, So are we ready? Are we ready? What's his name? Albert? Arnold. Arnold. Are we ready, Arnold? (laughs) So it goes like this. Thank you, my friendly demon. Close to me is my shadow for the mealy buttercup days in the ancient meadow. Thank you, my friend, shorter by a head, more placid than me, your protege, whose ways are not so lucid. My animal angel, sure of touch and humor, with face still tanned from some primeval summer. Someday you will leave me, or at best, less often I shall sense your presence when eyes and nostrils open. Less often find your burgling fingers ready to pick the locks when mine are too unsteady. Thank you for the times of contact, for the glamour of pressure sold by the clock and under the hammer. And thank you for bidding for me for breaking the cordon of spies and sentries round the unravished garden. And thank you for the abandon of your giving, for seeing in the dark, for making this life worth living. Oh, that was beautiful. Did you enjoy that, Arnold, that little poem of gratitude to you? <laughs> so I guess Arnold will be tuning in. Excuse me, Albert, what's his name? Arnold. <laughs> Arnold will be tuning in next week. Well, if we entertain him as much as we did today, <laughs> we, he might. we promise we will do our best, <laughs> as we promised to all of you out there. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you for your beautiful poem and sharing your beautiful stories with all of us today, Karen. Kakiteano. Kakiteano. Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day, every day.